Hello and welcome to the Code Youngstown podcast. I am Neil Primer with, as usual, Joe Dunko. And joining us today is Mike Helmick. Yeah, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mike Helmick. Uh, I reside in Ohio and I'm currently working at a West Monroe and doing Python and stuff. All right. Um, so, you know, obviously you just said you're, you're working on Python. Is that your primary language? What other languages do you work with or uh, what other tech do you work with? Yeah, so um, Python's my, uh, my main language and um, I don't really work with anything else. Maybe like Terraform, if you, if you consider that like a programming language, but uh, Python's like my day-to-day. And um, yeah, that's, that's basically it. All right. Um, so, you know, what's, what's some of your background? What's your intro to programming? What got you into coding? Uh, maybe how you, you found Code Youngstown? I think you cut out there. You said what got me into coding. Oh. Yeah, yeah. What got you into programming? What got you into... Uh, you know, what, what's kind of some of your career trajectory and uh, how'd you find it, Code Youngstown? Yeah. So I am self-taught. Um, I've been, uh, what got me into programming was when I was 14, uh, I was uh, into wrestling. I still am today. Um, and I was on wrestling forums and people were making graphics. So I started dabbling into making graphics or uh, GFX as they like to call it. Um, and I found a website, um, evolutiongfx.com and I wanted to make, it, it, they basically did PSD cuts, which are um, renders. So you can, they, they cut the background off of, um, out of pictures. They cut the person out of the picture so you can use them in your own graphics. And um, I was like, that's pretty cool. I want to do it myself. So I cut my own PSDs and I was wondering how to make, I could make my own website. So I made syndicategfx.com and um, still have all my stuff from back then. But um, that was all HTML and uh, CSS and um, actually, no, I don't think it was CSS. Not that I programmed because it was image ready. I remember slicing up everything. Um, and then I remember one site was doing like you, there's, they had a CMS where you could like update what was uh, the, the new, the new cuts that were out. And um, this one guy, can't remember his name, M4L maybe or something. He, um, he uh, had, uh, told me that they use PHP and I was like, what the heck's that? So I checked out uh, what PHP was and I started at, um, dabbling in that. And, um, I think we're about six, 15, maybe years old. Um, and the, the GFX thing kind of died down and, um, all the sites started like not being as popular. And, um, as I mentioned, I still like wrestling. So we made my friend and I, we made a, um, degeneration X website. And uh, made a nice little penny off of that. We were we had like our own little members area where they got exclusive um, uploads and stuff. And um, we're still doing PHP. Um, I got into phpfreaks.com and uh, was learning a lot of PHP and MySQL and stuff like that. Um, and uh, there was um, this guy Matt that was local, and he was starting up his uh, or he had his own company, Wide Productions, and um, I was kind of looking for a job and he took a shot on me and I was doing PHP for them for a little bit. Um, and then I started getting into my professional work with that. And, um, 
a guy Lee came along and we started building a product called Drund and I was doing Python and Django mostly there. Um, and then got into servers and infrastructure and, um, AWS and Terraform and all that good stuff. Um, there started leading that team and, uh, I left last summer and I started uh, a new place, uh, Varus, which just got bought by West Monroe. So now I'm part of the West Monroe team. And, uh, like I mentioned, I, I mostly just do Python now and um, Terraform and AWS stuff when needed. Cool. Did I talk too much there? Um, no, no. <laughs> it's, it, uh, uh, um, I was actually going to ask, so, you know, what are, you know, this company you're working for now, what is it they do? What's their, uh, their market area? What, are, what kind of things are you working for with them? Yeah, so they were a consulting company before they purchased um, Varus or acquired Varus and um, Carbon Five. Um, I think they just got like another company too. But um, basically, they were consulting, so they would tell people how to do, how they can do stuff. And um, now they have engineers that can do that stuff too. So they can say, "Hey, this is how you do it, and we can do it for you." Um, yeah, and that's 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 their game plan, I suppose. Um, I really like it's it's kind of funny because we've known each other for more than five years now. I just looked at my resume and I started at Drund in like 2016. So we've known each other for a long time and it's kind of cool to get some, you know, context into like your background and, and, and uh, you know, all that. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, so a lot of people have kind of moved on from like the PHP world. Are you still dabbling in any of those old sites you used to do or any PHP at all? Or are you all, all in on Python nowadays? Um, all in on Python. I mean, I, I like look every now and again at PHP things, but like not like, you know, it's kind of hard um, to, I guess, dedicate my time to care about PHP when it's not my like um, forte um, or I don't need to use it actively. Um, and I've like looked at just for like nostalgia, I've like looked at like code that I wrote like back in the day. Um, but outside of that, just no, no PHP. What about any more, uh, like wrestling related side projects? Um, not any that are programming related, programming related. I was trying to, um, do like some blender, uh, at some point and I was building a wrestling ring. I was trying to do some characters, um, and then I just kind of fell off of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think there's, I do have a good idea for a, um, if anyone wants to steal this, go ahead for a wrestling figure, um, uh, selling site. There's one for, uh, collectible cards called TCG player. And I think there could, there's a market for one uh, for wrestling figures or just figures in general. Um, there's probably one out there, but, um, I really like how TCG player has it set up and. I think I, I'm guessing that there isn't one out there like that for, um, as robust for wrestling figures. So if you want to build that for any Marvel, DC, all those figures too, um, just take that idea and make a bunch of money off of it. That wrestling figures are really popular. Um, I went to Toy Toy Ohio. Is that how you Toy Ohio? Toy Ohio yeah. for the first time. Um, I think they have it twice a year or something. So I went like in the winter uh because it's like right down the street from my house and i was like wow there's a a lot of there's so many people there were like 50 vendors hundreds of people i didn't realize how big of a thing wrestling figures and and vintage toys was locally in the youngstown area 
Yeah, there's a there's a scene for that. There's uh, I know there's some places over. Um, there's a place in Gerard, uh, uh, Time Capsule Toys. There's a place in Niles. Um, I think there's one in Boardman too. Um, but yeah, there's like I guess there's just you know there's a scene for everything, right? And um, they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of um, traction uh, going there. I know, I know I think I went to the winter one. I didn't I didn't pass this past one. Um, but I guess the guy who set it up, um, he passed away, but, um, he was really into wrestling and stuff and, and, uh, decided to get, um, to, to make this, he was into wrestling and toys and he had a toy shop and, uh, he decided to create this, uh, this convention for, to combine the both. That it's kind of awesome. We have something like that in the area. And I think the next one's actually this weekend and just to date the podcast, cause editing probably won't be done until after this weekend, I assume. Uh, this is like the last week of June. Um, so I think it's the first week of July, um, or first weekend of July is going to be the next one. Spit. Um, so I guess on that note, is there any, uh, so you've been in the Youngstown area your whole life, right? You're, you're a native? Yeah. Yes, native. Born and raised. You know, the, the Youngstown tattoo and, and everything, no. right? Nope, no Youngstown tattoo. <laughs> I don't think I own a Youngstown shirt or anything like that. I, I don't either. Um, is there anything else in particular? Like you, you mentioned there was a, a, like we talked about a, uh, you know, vintage toy scene. Is there anything else in the particular, like keep it, or in particular, keeping you in the Youngstown area uh, that you, you know, want to share with us? Um, I don't think anything outside of family, really. Um, I mean, we have some great food, right? Uh, there's some good hidden, hidden gems. Uh, Aquapaza, Lupabella. Um, uh, what's the homestead over in Columbiana? Um, really, yeah, really good food. Really good, really, really great brunch. So if anyone's listening and you know you want some brunch and some mimosas, um, go there. Um, yeah, I don't think anything outside of family really. I mean, it's a, it's a nice place, cheap living, uh, relatively speaking. Um, yeah, I, I don't see why anyone would want to pay you know, uh, $4,000 for an apartment in New York. I mean, yes, you could live that life for maybe a few months, but you know, how, how sustainable is that when you could just pay $400 or $700 for an apartment here? And, you know, yeah, have some, no, have some, a, it, it's a, there's nice neighborhoods and, and, and nice houses here too. So. That's a, a completely valid answer. And I think that's a lot of like, we've, we've done uh, like a handful of these. And I think that's a really common answer is a lot of people, end up back here for family if they've left or have stayed for family. And I, th- I think that, you know, that's not a bad answer. And uh, most people mention the food and other things. And I've, though, unfortunately, I haven't actually been to any of those restaurants. I keep hearing about Aquapazo and I haven't actually gone. Um, maybe oh, I dude. should. Yeah, they have this like, I don't know if you're into meat, but they have this like steak that is, it's in this like red wine sauce and has this, uh, some cheese on top. It's really, really good. That's awesome. I, I wrote it down, so I'm going to have to actually, you know, bring that up to Elizabeth and make it. It's not, it sounds like a type of place, uh, you know, put on the calendar. Yeah, yeah, they a, do. Make it they do thing. reservations. I have reservations uh, for tonight, actually. Um, oh. <laughs> to, yeah, so um, make reservations. I mean, it's probably going to be packed during the week day, but um, it's still nice to just make reservations. So if you don't get surprised. Yeah, that makes I, I will make a note of that. Thank you. Um, so kind of going back to programming, 
Um, you mentioned you're doing a lot of uh, Python and Terraform is in like your day-to-day -day work. Is there anything you're, you know, currently like playing with, trying to learn, anything you want to learn? What, what's next? So I actually am benched right now. Um, there was, we, we ended a contra contract with the client and um, I had vacation and um, it's just, I, I, yeah, I'm just benched waiting to, waiting to get some new work. But uh, in the meantime, I am looking to get my AWS certificates and I am actually learning Go, um, something I've wanted to do for a while. Yeah. And um, I'm building a Pokedex um, in Go, like a CLI, just to um, try to work with uh, REST APIs and, and networking and stuff like that um, and parsing data and all that stuff. Uh, I also want, I also want to do some rust. Um, I don't know. They'll probably be pretty far in the future if I ever get to it, but, um, yeah, it's just go and rust are, uh, my, my, uh, roadmap. If I have to learn anything new. I always love to hear more people using go. Um, I've been doing go myself for seven years. Uh, how long ago was 2015? However long ago that was. Hey, um, I'm not, so it's good I'm to not hear. coaching, but uh, and if, you're, if you're looking for a job, we're looking for senior go. So I think even non-senior go um, <laughs> looked at our job thingy the other day. So no, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am, but thanks for the, for the attempt. Um, now I, um, I've been doing go for like seven years. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, as someone new to go what your uh what your impressions are of coming into the language and starting to learn it uh, especially coming from like a php python background instead of a uh, c or java uh, java background i think that's one of the uh biggest hurdles for me is the, is the typing um and like in python if you want to consume a rest api you just say you know uh, get this data and you get json back and it's a Python object, but in uh, Go, you can't just do that. You need to have a struct or you need to, um, uh, I, I found that trying to work with, um, trying to work with like JSON that you get back without having a struct isn't that easy. It's, you have to um, set the types of, the, or the, you have to set like the types of the interface and then you have to like actually determine what the, the, the type of the um sorry if i'm wrong about any of this because i'm probably a month into learning go with that so um and you have to like uh loop over each and try to actually like uh, you can do like a switch to decide which type of data this is and then um it's just easier if you have the struct for you um i don't know how i feel about that um it's, it's up in the air but i think that's the only hurdle other than that like channels made sense to me um the general like um like the the um intro to go uh, made sense to me just declaring types and stuff like generally declaring types and stuff like that made sense and uh for loops make sense even though they're a little different um there's a lot of commonalities i think between most programming languages um we'll just see where if, if i ever it kind of clicked yesterday like the the um the uh, static typing um, kind of clicked yesterday a little bit, but it's still um, slightly a hurdle for me. I will say um, 
you know, if you're if you're having trouble with the static typing, especially with like consuming REST APIs, um, start going through and learning how Go's generics work. That might help you a, a bit with uh, with making that transition, or at least padding the places where the data is questionable or a little too dynamic to to really have like set structs. Okay. Yeah, I think one of the things like in the Pokédex thing, one of the things I wanted to do just simply was do name and then do um like their HP, right? And I, I didn't realize it was from games from the uh like the Pokédex or uh, Poké API or whatever. Um if anyone isn't familiar with that, it's a it's a no authentication, you just can use their API for free. Um and I see a lot of um like test projects work with it. But um I want to just print out the, like assign the name and then the HP to a Pokemon struct. And, um, I, the name was like right at the top level of the dictionary, but the actual like, um, HP was in, like was nested, uh, under stats, which is a list. And in that list it has, um, I think it has a uh, base stat or something like that. And I was struggling getting that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll post in code Youngstown Slack to, um, uh, get some eyes on it because, uh, like I said, it started to make sense, but also maybe maybe I'm wrong and really far off. Um, so to I guess avoid making this all about Go, um, yeah. Uh, so you you've been working with uh, Terraform and infrastructure stuff for a while now as well. Um, so how how do you find the uh, how do you find coming from like a, a development perspective, um, working with infrastructure as code and the uh, tool chains and pipelines that kind of come with that compared to what you would use for publishing your code? You know, um, how do you prefer uh, your, your workflow to kind of go? Um, do you prefer like how things go on the infrastructure side, how things go on the development side? Um, now, what are some of the the issues you've run into on either? Like, what are your, kind of your impressions of working on both the like infrastructure as well as the code side? All right, so I think that AWS has made um, life really easy. I'm sure um, GCP and um, Azure has too. Um, I strictly have experience in AWS, but um, there's it's kind of like there's an app for that. There's a, there's a service for that, right? Um, there's a service for streaming, for OCRing, for, um, you know, whatever you want to do, sending emails, sending push notifications. There's, um, there's a service for that in AWS, um, manage databases. Um, so I've done some stuff outside of, uh, using their managed services. And I will say that when in doubt, use their managed services because they makes it 10 times, a hundred times easier for you. And, um, it's going to keep uh, your company's cost down from, uh, headache and time that developers are spending trying to fix, you know, MySQL running on EC2 servers versus just using RDS, um, deploying infrastructure, I would say, I mean, it's a hundred times easier, I think, than, uh, deploying application code because application codes, uh, a little bit more brittle than, uh, infrastructure. Um, once you kind of have your infra, it's set in stone and you don't make too many changes. Um, and 
um, if you do need to make changes or add something new, uh, it's, you're generally, not, um, hopefully you have a staging environment or something and um, you can set up some, some servers there or uh, services or whatever you need there to test out your stuff before um, actually um, F it going live, you know? Um, so I would say that uh, I, I feel a lot more comfortable just pushing some infrastructure and, uh, you know, Terraform apply than uh, going through the, it, it's a, I feel it's a lot more streamlined too than, um, my cat's really bothering me. It's a lot more streamlined than um, uh, having to deploy, deploy applications um, to the cloud, right? And um, having your application distributed, worrying about downtime for your application. Um, and those are things that like infrastructure as code can help with, um, with uh, your, your uh, cloud, I guess for AWS, your cloud watch alarms um, and stuff like that, or your auto scaling groups and things like that. Um, and, and how they scale based on what you need. Um, ECS has its own scaling. Uh, they have blue green deployments. Uh, those are all things. I'm just throwing up some buzzwords, I guess. Those are all things to look into if you're not familiar with. Um, and it's, sometimes buzzwords are just like, you know, to get people started, right? Um, I did a uh, an um, hitchhiker's hitchhiker's guide to AWS for interns at our company, and um, basically went over maybe like ten key um, AWS services that you'll probably want to look at if you're trying to build an app and um, just throwing out buzzwords, you know, hopefully a year down the road, if someone's trying to get into AWS and they, they're like, Oh, I remember that word from Mike, um, you know, is, is helpful. So like blue green, like I said, blue green, um, I forget the other term, uh, call it rollover, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, like I said, application code is, uh, is very scary to push, um, especially if you're servicing lots of users too so that's so interesting to get the other perspective because i i just write like front-end code and i guess like front-end code is way different than back-end code in the way that like you can't like it feels safer to push more often but i guess i would have thought that um like even with terraform even with all the um like infrastructure that uh we have now with infrastructure as code um that it would have still been scary because it's just a config and uh you know you push it and it feels a little magical how the changes just kind of happen in your infrastructure um it's just so i i'm i'm just kind of caught up on like okay that's a that's so i don't think i've ever heard anyone actually say they feel more comfortable deploying uh infrastructure code than uh you know application code and it's i'm just still kind of stuck in that uh thinking about that like i said <laughs> if you if you have a staging environment um and you can do it there or any other environments then you're probably gonna feel a lot safer um your code should be versioned so you can just go you can revert back if you if you mess something really bad up or um you brought up a good point about uh oh man i forgot what you said i'm sorry um the uh Oh, you can read the a Terraform plan before you you push it. I imagine the same thing with the cloud formation or any other um, IACs. Um, but you can 
see what's going to happen. You can see if it's going to destroy servers. And as long as the people who write Terraform and stuff, uh, or the, the AWS provider for Terraform specifically, as long as they don't mess up, you know, APIs behind the scenes, um, then you should be in good shape. And um, as long as you read that plan and you don't see 100 destroys when you're just trying to add like a server or something, then, then you know, it's, it's not as scary. Gotcha. I didn't realize it generated like a, you know, like a plan file that you could actually like human readable, like look through it. That's, I'm, I'm learning stuff. This is so cool. Um, so, so a lot of people, like I, I'm talking to two infrastructure engineers. Um, how do you, at what point should someone reach for Terraform as opposed to as a lowly front, front end engineer, I always reach for whatever the platform as a service solution is at what point should I reach for so, like something like Terraform? Day one. What say you, Neil? Uh, day one with caveat that if you don't have someone to support the Terraform infrastructure and like managing Terraform state and your CI pipelines, like if you're handling all that yourself, it may be easier for you to go some, uh, go with like a direct deployment to AWS or Heroku or whatever you're using. Um, like, you know, the, the day one for Terraform is for people who either know Terraform, know infrastructure, or have a team that supports them with their infrastructure and NCI. Got it. So it's one of those things that if you have the manpower for it, it's probably best to do day one. Um, but otherwise, me and Vercel are, are still best friends um, until then. <laughs> um, I think I'm struggling to come up with a follow-up question. Neil, do you have anything? Yeah. Um, so, Mike, what are what are some of the technologies that um, you know you haven't had time to work with or look into that you're interested in? You know, you talked a little bit about learning Go now and wanting to learn Rust in the future, but even aside from programming languages specifically, what other things do you want to work with? What do you want to work on? What do you want to do? So I think um, something with machine learning would be really cool, um, and something with AI. Um, GitHub Copilot is re like really amazed me with uh, with what it can provide you as like a, a programming buddy, um, and you know the world's only going in that direction. So I think that's definitely something that um would be good to get under my belt but also like there's like cool stuff that you know there's we had a, a company meeting where uh this one guy was talking about uh they, they had this program called or this uh robot called tally which goes down um aisles in, in supermarkets and knows everywhere every bay that the product's in and it can scan and see how like if it's out of stock or if it's low on stock and it delivers this report to the employees. So the employees now aren't spending three hours trying to find the stuff that's out of stock and then spending an hour and a half to three hours stocking it and maybe even stocking the wrong things because they don't know, you know, there's people are working in shifts. You don't know that maybe this only sold for, you know, over two months and not just a month or whatever. So like that technology was like saving, um, I think one of his one of the worries that people brought up was is this gonna cut jobs? And he's like, no, it's you're you're making your you're letting your workers work on things that actually matter, right? And not things that uh they're not wasting their time doing senseless stuff. Um so just anything that can help um uh, productivity and stuff, I really I really like and would really like to work on. 
um, you know, not necessarily it doesn't need to like make people lose jobs, but um, if it streamlines something, it's, it's it's so fascinating to me, like how far tech comes to just like cut the time that you need to do something in half. You don't need to print out a map. You don't need to look at a map and uh, you know, you can just literally Google, I want to go to Florida and you'll, you'll, you'll get how to go to Florida in two seconds. Right. I remember back in the day going to AAA, getting trip ticks for if you're, you know, journeys where they'd have uh, <laughs> they'd have to like gather all the little individual map pages and stamp where the known construction was, and you know you go off that path at all, and you're completely lost. I th- I think some other things I would like to uh, look into too is um, like I, I dabbled in React a little bit. I was watching some videos on TypeScript, but um unfortunately like just the time you know when i was like 20 or whatever maybe i had some more time on me but time's really precious and um just to and i'm not knocking anyone who does work all the time because you know maybe that's people like people have their own um what they like to do right but um there's family and there's there's so so many things outside of work um i i, I believe in like finding your niche and like not being not not knowing Python and, and, um, JavaScript and HTML and Java and, uh, database administrator, right? Cause you're, you're not going to be an expert or excellent in all those things. Um, maybe one, and you know, a little bit of the others. Like, I mean, I, I know some things about those other languages, um, and can get myself around, but, um, you know, people and people are always hiring for full stack. Right. But, um, like how good is it going to be? How good is that product going to be if you're, if you have five people who are just kind of good at everything versus you hire five people who are, you know, can excel in in five of those things and then hire a few more people who who also have that interest. Um, and I could be wrong too. I'm um, very open to um, uh, being uh, humiliated. What's the term? What's the term? Guys, help me out here. Being wrong. humbled, uh, not, not humbled. yeah, being wrong, <laughs> yes, yeah, um, and being wrong. I think I could be. Really, I'm just, you know, everyone has their own opinion, and that's mine. I mean, I will say I've seen I've seen it both ways. I've seen places where you've got the expert who comes in, who's like, you know, completely, you know, knows the language spec in and out, knows all the best practices, but they are so it's like so second nature to them that they write code that is almost indecipherable to someone who's not near their level. So if you've got like one, you know, principal engineer and six mid-level or even senior engineers who aren't as inundated in that one area of specialty as the principal is, you end up with only that person can maintain it, which then ends up to that person getting burnt out and being like kind of unable to continue maintaining it. And that kind of leads to a, a crisis with, uh, with maintaining that software. So I think it's, I think it's important to have people who are specialized in things, but having, uh, I, having a mix is important too, as, as an individual so that you do have experience in other areas and you're not just so entrenched in the the standard practices for like one particular ecosystem 
Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, two things unrelated or slightly related and one thing definitely related. Uh, Principal engineer is actually my new title at uh, West Monroe. I just, yeah, yeah, I just got that officially. So sweet. Um, and if you're listening and you don't do this already, comment your code and also write unit tests because that will help people out immensely. Um, and um, when I was leading the team at Drund, um, I thought like, for onboarding new people, I thought that this worked really well. Um, and maybe I got lucky with the people who I, I worked with who were um, uh, starting new, but um, I, I feel like it worked out really well for them uh, to be able to, to do this. But we would go through, um, I'd go through unit tests and see where we were missing coverage and um, have them write tests for that specifically. And then uh, they would, you know, it'd be six weeks of writing tests and now you know the system uh, a little bit, you know, you know, you know your way around the system, um, and you also know how things work. Um, the other thing is, uh, oh, to, to Neil's point, I think that uh, not being entrenched is really good, and 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 knowing that having having an idea of the other teams around you um, too is is um, definitely nice to have especially it's a team effort right um you're not going to get uh if you're entrenched in your own thing and you're not and you're not helping other people then i think well it's not gonna be that good of a time right it's a, it's a team effort and the more people you have working at a high level um because of the things that you can do um will make your life easier and their life easier and the product better definitely i've definitely you know worked with people that both have a, it, I think it kind of goes back to mental models a little, like you, you, it's very easy to, when you start talking to like a, a coworker or someone who um, has fuller mental models about like the, like infrastructure and how code works and those kind of things, and you'd be like, okay, I see the, the gears turning. And then when you, you, there are people that you can talk to where it's like, okay, they know this one thing. And then when you talk about like some other things, it's like they had no idea what this other piece of infrastructure, it's just this black, like black box to them and not even a black box where they, they know the interface. And I guess like, I just, for anyone who, who is listening, I just want to take that opportunity to like, you don't have to actually know everything about what the backend infrastructure is doing. You don't have to know, understand everything about what the front-end infrastructure is doing or what the build steps are. But having an idea of what, like, the artifacts are at each point, maybe, or, like, you know, have a one-on-one -on -one with, with someone from a team that you're not familiar with and just get an idea of, like, what's going on. That's something I really appreciate, especially back when I was at I was at Drund. Like, I talked to, like, John Mela about, like, what's going on with the backend infrastructure? Why does, why do databases scale this way? Like, and I really appreciate him taking out, like, the, the 10, 20 minutes to, like, explain to me, like, the whole, like, having multiple reads versus one write or, or it, ways you can do sharding. I was like, what? Like, I'm glad he did. I just write. Because I probably would have shrugged and just said computers. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, shout out to him for uh, helping me with my backend mental models back when I was, you know, trying to learn this stuff. Um, speaking of, I, I, not to go back, you know, so many minutes, but to go back so many minutes, uh, you mentioned uh, machine learning, AI, like data science stuff is something you wanted to, you know, learn a little bit more of. And that's actually come up quite a bit, like in the uh, 
Code Youngstown 2022 survey, that was like the top thing. Like there were like, there seems to be this gap in the Youngstown area where people just don't do, I'm not going to say AI or ML, but really data science, it seems, um, is from an engineering perspective. Um, like my company's hiring data scientists right now, a bunch of companies are, and we just can't fill those roles. Um, I don't exactly know where I'm trying to take this conversation, but I thought that was really, that that was an interesting, you know, you mentioned something that I, I think, I wonder if there's something Code Youngstown can do or, or to introduce more of those topics locally. Um, does anyone have any any thoughts there of like how we can kind of clear that that kind of hurdle? It's okay if not, I'm just wondering. Go ahead, Neil. And it's kind of a hard thing to solve from like a from a regional perspective like that. I you know the industry as a whole has shortages in a lot of areas with data scientists as a specialty being one of them. Um, you know I think the big thing is like people people got to spend a lot of time doing it to become a specialist at it and you know it's um, it's kind of that same catch twenty two of like breaking into a, uh, an industry of like, if you don't have the experience, you need to get the experience before you can get the real on the job experience. So you know, I guess if someone out there is interested in it, find something that like interests you, find something that's a project you can work on. Um, you know, Mike, it sounds like you might also have had some thoughts about that. Yeah, so a few things. Um, I think like so, you know, we've got so far without machine learning and AI, um, like being like a huge part of of the tech we use today, and like now we have it, and it's like getting really good. So, um, it's just, like I said, it's just, it's going to be a huge part of the future probably. So, um, it's probably definitely a good spot to get into, um, and just the things that we can do with it, right? Um, and I don't know if this would fall under. This would be machine learning, really, but um, so you can get like um, comic books graded and and trading cards graded, right? And um, you can send them into like PSA or Beckett or uh, CGC. But uh, I was watching this this YouTube video the other day, and there's this um, new it's called a uh, automated grading or robot grading or something like that, and it's not a human doing it, right? There's it's not subjective to uh, obviously it's subjective to the the program, right? But um, hopefully they perfect that program to like a 99%, uh, you know, level, but, um, it's not just some guy going or some woman going, yeah, this, this corner is a little bit white or this, this centering's off. Um, it's a computer looking at it. So, um, that really, that I was like, oh, that's cool. That, that's tech that's happening. You know, that's, we're stepping away from people being the subjectively grading these things and, um, some cards getting, a nine and some cards getting a 10 and being a thousand dollar difference when, when you go to resell it versus um, a computer. Um, and, uh, God, there's just so many things to talk about. Um, I figured I was going Joe. Sorry. Uh, you're fine. I, I think that's, I, I think that is such an interesting use case. I, I'd never thought of that one, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, it takes away some of the human elements. Like, we'll, like some of these companies do get like 
you know, because the way the market works, if there are so many tens, like it, it brings the value of all of them down. So it might be part of the human subconscious to like, okay, this isn't a 10, this is a nine, because, you know, there can't be this many tens and, you know, kind of affect the market forces a little bit. And there's all, you can go the crypto route with this conversation, you could go the stock market route with this conversation or anything, but it's so... Um, the idea of taking the the human element out of processes like those um, is really exciting, at least to me. Um, now that brings a whole other can of worms, right? Like, how can you trick it? Like, is everything perfect? Um, is it actually, uh, does it work on all comics? Like black and white ones and color ones and ones in different aspect ratios and like what conditions does that actually need to be in and if you take just a picture of the floor does it rate that a nine like you know so there's just so many i i've had the privilege to work at the last couple of companies i've worked at were all machine learning startups and it's so interesting like if anything, the problems that they're solving are is, are almost as interesting as the problems that come up as they try to solve the problems. Um, just with weird, uh, we're using cameras for something and just the amount of wiggle the cameras have can be a problem just by existing. Um, whether they're, you know, the lens can shift at, like with heat and uh like with temperature differences, it's just absurd. The, the real world things you have to fight with when you're doing ML. Um, I don't know really where I was going with that, but I, I do think that it's very deep. Um, it's also a very deep, uh, like you have to have a lot of knowledge of the thing you're actually trying to do machine learning on, right? Like a programmer can't just be like, this is a 10, this is a nine. They have to somehow train that data and they have to have a deep understanding of the thing that they're actually working on. Um, as with, I would hope almost every programmer working on a problem, I, I hope they at least dive a little bit into the problems they're solving. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I was really going into that, uh, like in any particular direction, but it is a, is a very interesting and exciting, uh, world, uh, that's kind of opening up to people recently. Yeah, I think, um. I've only interviewed with like one ML company and their whole thing was they were a marketplace for like luxury goods, like purses, watches, all that stuff. And their ML was for detecting like fakes. Like that was their whole thing was, you know, the, the marketplace was like their income, but they they were banking on building that ML technology for like later acquisition or, um, like IPO and like they were making that their, their goal. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting use case. Yeah. What, just to throw out my, my thought on trying to, to fill that ML gap that we have locally, um, just a plug for something that I'm kind of throwing around is that like throwing a local tech conference and bringing in, in some ML related speakers. Um, no one like necessarily super large, but I think like, uh, like large following. Um, but I, I feel like just having, being able to breach those topics, like there's not many people locally, like if you even post on code Youngstown right now in the, in the Slack, not that many people are going to be able to respond, um, at about like machine learning topics. Um, and I really appreciate your plug for the code Youngstown Slack earlier. 
uh, Mike, where you said you were going to uh, possibly post some some Go things. Like that's a, such a great use of the Slack. So I'm just, I'm kind of going through the list of things that were mentioned. Like, okay, what things can I plug here where we're, while we're nearing the end? Yeah, uh, that being if you're in Youngstown and you, you, you want to be a pro and you're a programmer, want to be a programmer, you know, code Youngstown is, it's, it's a really, it's like cool that it's a, it's a resource, right? Cause you know, I didn't have that resource growing up and, um, and it's the same thing for like, there's a lot of things where like, you know, we didn't have, um, resources like that growing up. Um, so why not make use of it now? You know, it's a great time to do it. Definitely. And I mean, that's, that's de that is the definitely the biggest goal is like these things didn't like these resources didn't exist when we were we were learning um, or at least for in the in the case of Code Youngstown this kind of community didn't exist at least in Youngstown um, and I'm very grateful to everyone who's been participating and and Neil and Mike I'm very grateful for both of you to, for being here today um, it seems like we're kind of we're, we're getting close to the end of the hour um, did we have any Thing on the the list that we wanted to kind of finish out on, Mike. Is there anything you wanted to uh, kind of you know uh, mention? Um, I, I just want to make sure we've covered everything that we we meant to cover today. Um, I think a couple things. If I could like not not, not philosophically speak, but um, like imposter imposter syndrome is like a real thing, right? Um, and you know, just know like how long you've been doing it. And, um, you probably are as good as you think you are in like the, the 99 percentile case that you, you know, if, if you've been doing it long enough and, um, you, you've worked on, you've worked on actual things like professionally, um, you know, don't, don't think that you don't know what you're doing because, uh, that's, that's a pretty easy thing to say, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing software. Um, but we do because we're building awesome things. Right. Um, and then if you are interviewing, um, just because you get like one or two people or companies that, um, turn you down or you don't make it through the process, um, like don't quit. Cause, um, I know when I was looking last year I did, and I know like I have a lot of tech under my belt and, um, can provide a lot to a product and, um, you know, just just because they say no, it might be just because that the company and you might not be a good fit and not necessarily that you're um, not a good programmer or um, whatever you're interviewing for, you know, anything you're interviewing for. Um, so just keep, keep on keeping on, right? Um, interviewing if you are interviewing and um, don't give up. Yeah, it's a good message, man. Um, you know, like Joe said, we're, we're getting close to end of time, but um, anything else you want to promote while you're here, aside from Aquapazo? Um, West Monroe is hiring, I think, um, mostly senior. Uh, I know if you search like Varus Indeed, we have like some like hidden like uh, uh, hiring positions from like it being legacy or whatever. Um, but I, I'll Google it real fast while because you can, you know, cut time, right? Uh, so we can just splice this all together. Um, I guess indeed. It looks like we are hiring for if indeed loads. Um, remote senior Java, senior software engineer Golang, senior software engineer Java. Um, and there's one more. Uh, remote senior software engineer Golang. Um, 
Oh yeah. So Westmore is also, uh, there's like a hybrid model for like consultants, uh, from like legacy West Monroe. There is a virtual, um, doesn't matter where you live, you know, you don't have to like do anything. And there's like a remote one too, where like, if you live close enough to an office, you might have to go in like once a week or something or, or, or sorry, quarterly. Um, but generally like they're really open to being, uh, remote. Um, and just like, they're more, if you are a consultant, there might be times where you need to go to the client more so than, um, uh, being just being a programmer. Um, but we are hiring and if you are interested in a job, uh, reach out to me on Code Youngstown Slack. And, um, there's like, I, I can put you as a referral or I can put like myself as a referral and, um, maybe get, get an interview going. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for, for joining us today. Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, I'd like to thank everyone who's listening and we will hopefully be back soon. Bye.